Hey everyone, this is Mike Dunn. I'm Julie Cook. And I'm Janine Dunn. And you are listening to Rethinking EDU. Thanks so much for joining us on our 40th episode. I cannot believe, co-hosts, that we've made it through 39 other episodes of like amazing content that we've been sharing out there with the world. Like, isn't that wild? It's been a blink. It is awesome. <laughs> it's awesome, though. <laughs> It is. It has been like a long ride. You know, we've been through COVID, of course, and, and still in the middle of COVID. Blah. And we are here, though, um, continuing to share really great conversations. Our last conversation with Antonio Boyd was super inspiring. And I hope that our conversation tonight will be super inspiring because this is going to be part of a mini series that we are doing about equity, inclusion, and belonging. Tonight, we're going to feature Dr. Ken Simon and Dr. Antonia Johnson, and they are part of what is called Project I-4, which is a project happening um, at Eastern Carolina University. We're going to get more into that project in a little bit, but the reason why we're sort of breaking away from the perspectives and moving into this mini-series is we've heard from so many of our guests, we've noticed ourselves. And we just keep hearing from parents and from students about how equity is such a major issue in education right now. The pandemic has done nothing but unveil these equity issues that we knew were there. We knew as professional educators, we knew as policymakers, we knew as parents and students were there, but we weren't really grappling with that. And now the veil has been lifted and the question about whether or not we will grapple with these equity issues is still very much on the table. And, you know, we'll talk about that in, in this next little while. But we're hoping that um, that Ken and Antonia can really help us understand a little bit more about what we're talking about when we are talking about equity and some of the work that um, Project I-4 is doing to promote equitable educational experiences. So I want to start with some quick introductions. Let's go with um, uh, Antonia Johnson first. Antonia, how are you doing this evening? And thanks for joining us. I am doing quite well. I'm happy to be here. Very excited about this conversation. Yeah, likewise. And you're you're located down in um, Lily, North Carolina, in the town of Wilmington, which is a really great like little coastal coastal town. Also, what the the location of the famed '90s, early 2000s TV show Dawson's Creek? Is that correct? I see you've done your homework. That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> also, the the home of several films that have been filmed here, um, major blockbusters. Absolutely. But really, more importantly, it's your home too, and you've been doing work in um, North Carolina in education for a while now. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that work? Absolutely. Uh, I have been, this is my second year, I'm proud to say, as a coach with the Institute for Educational Leadership and in partnership with East Carolina University, as you mentioned, with Project I-4. And it's been absolutely mm -hmm. a life transformative experience for me to be involved with colleagues like Ken that will speak in a moment and my wonderful group of school leaders that I'm working with. Uh, prior to that, I have served in education for over 25 years in various capacities. Started out as an English teacher, high school English teacher, and then from there moved into school administration where I served as a school administrator. I've served on the district level as a school, uh, as a district leader. And proud to say I also served several years at our State Department of Education, serving districts and schools all across the state. So this has been just a wonderful opportunity for me the last year and a half to come back to work that is mission driven and equity. So very excited to be a part of this project. I love it. I love it. Shout out to all of our English teachers out there. I know y'all are listening and Antonia's is in here for you this evening. Um, let's uh, introduce Dr. Ken Simon, who, uh, like Janine and Julie and I, is a recently minted doctor and prefers just to be called Ken, much like our last um, guest, Antonio Boyd, who is just like, I haven't even gotten used to Dr. Boyd yet or anything. That sounds way serious. But Ken, welcome to the pod. How are you doing this evening? I'm great. It's such a pri uh, privilege to be here with y'all. Yeah, likewise, likewise. And so, Ken, are, you are located in North Carolina as well. Um, and is that is that correct? Yeah, I'm in Raleigh. Um, I'm 
okay. new transplant to Raleigh. I moved here for this project, actually. Oh, awesome, awesome. And give us a little snapshot about what you were doing before your transplantation to Raleigh. Um, I have um, been in education. I started in education in 1988. It seems like a long time ago. Just uh, a couple years ago. It's okay. It's okay. Ago, right? <laughs> And um, I was a social studies teacher in Minneapolis public schools and stayed there for a number of years, had the just a wonderful opportunity to be part of a original um, teaching uh, faculty at a brand at a new middle school in the mid 1990s before new schools were sort of a thing and um, was really a transformative experience. Uh, um, serving primarily students of color from um, in North Minneapolis. And we were um, really some cutting edge, really interesting kinds of work, uh, systems work in terms of we all, we stayed with our kids for three straight years. We had, as teachers, we had pretty much total control over the schedule of our team. So that sort of led me to some years of, of doing some work as a teacher leader, um, both on middle grades reform and and really focused around deeper learning and curriculum reform. Um, and prior to right now, I um, work for Project I-4 um, as I work for uh, the Institute for Educational Leadership. We share a large grant, um, federal grant um, uh, to uh, with East Carolina University, and my role is to facilitate a team of coaches, of which Antonia is, is is one of those amazing coaches. Sounds awesome, and it sounds like a really fruitful and amazing um, educational path. Um, thanks for sharing, Ken, and thanks for sharing, Antonia. We uh, there's so much more to uncover. We could just talk about your like life paths, you know, for this entire episode, but we want to get into the meat of this episode. Okay, so. So Ken and Antonio, you both mentioned that you work for Project I-4. And um, as I mentioned earlier on in the episode, Project I-4 is part of East Carolina University. And I would love to hear a little bit more about what Project I-4 is. Um, if you can give us a little brief snapshot and help our listeners understand um, what it is and maybe how they might get involved if they're interested. So Either one of you can take a stab at this. Project I-4 is, we we are part of both, we're a, a grant that is shared by the Institute for Educational Leadership in Washington, D.C. and East Carolina University. And it's a federal grant, and our focus of this federal grant is to really support school leaders as equity-driven instructional leaders. And we've um, we and when we talk about school leaders, we're not just talking about administrators. We have many teacher leaders in our group, and part of our our what we've decided in this work is is to focus on some of the key things that educational leaders need to do. And one of those is really to observe classrooms. And to be able to provide feedback and be in, and and really support teachers um, in as they improve their instructional chops or ability, and and what we that and and we have also chosen to focus on math, in part because math is, in a very real political sense, math has been a gatekeeper for lots of our kids and and in particular our kids of color. And so that gives you a little bit of snapshot. And Tanya, why don't you add some, a little bit more to that? Absolutely. I, I wanted to share about one of the things for me as a coach that sets this project apart. I've had the, the pleasure of serving on other grants and initiatives, but what, set pro what sets Project I4 apart, I believe, is its focus on building the sense of relational trust. Uh, this is, to be quite honest, the first initiative, first opportunity that I've had as a over 25-year experienced educator where the relational trust is intentionally built to allow coaches and participants, leaders, that safe space to talk about our own biases and how we are going to confront inequity uh, into better circuits. So 
what sets it apart is this this whole notion of we first build this relational trust and then we address our own biases and then we we get to the work of as ken mentioned looking at evidence through observation to really make a meaningful and real and tangible difference for students it's just been an amazing opportunity and i just have to give kudos to ken to for being such a great leader of coaches he models that relational trust and that camaraderie it gives us all that comfort level as coaches to in turn share that experience with our school leaders that sounds awesome and and so y'all are really available to be working with school leaders whether they're teacher leaders or principals or whomever to um to work with them in an intentional way to be I guess, like uh, fostering environments that are more equitable. W would that be correct? Yeah, it would be correct. And it's I'm, what Antonia said about collecting evidence. I think one of the things, you know, and it, there's all kinds of ways to approach equity. And, and to be honest with them, we should be doing all of them. So there's, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If, if this, this is, I tend to think this is the issue in education right now. Um, and it's real. And so the, the, one of the ways that we've chosen to collect evidence is uh, one of the ways that we've chosen to approach equity is through that evidence collection and then working with teachers with the evidence to actually make some changes in their practice. As, and that's opposed to coming into a classroom and as a as a leader or a a principal making some generalized statements and and telling teachers how to how to change their practice this is really about te collaborating with teachers with the evidence to really make the changes necessary so that all kids are are really doing well and and, and we're also really focused on deeper learning in math um we're part of our work is how do we help math teachers move away from the more formulaic um uh, uh kinds of of work in math that oftentimes when you go into a a math classroom they might be talking about strategies for solving problems as opposed to really understanding deep math concepts and talking about that as a as a participant uh, a new participant in the i4 project uh what i really appreciate is kind of uh almost this focus of like going back to the basics like thinking about the ways in which you call on students in your classroom um you know and when we say we're calling on all students that all means all and one of the things that kind of had come up in one of our conversations uh within within my little group was this idea that you know um disengagement is really the enemy of learning and that's really stuck with me and i think about you know you think about those kids in your classroom and who's always answering your questions who are you always calling on where are kids situated within the classroom and so it really equity i think within the classroom really starts with that that basic practice of calling on students and where you're positioning them within the classroom um, and that's what I've gotten out so far with my first, you know, ins with the with the I4 project. So I just kind of wanted to throw that in there. <laughs> Thank you for that, Janine. And Mike, if I may, I'd like to add to what Janine and Ken shared. So so Ken mentioned about um, the structure and, and Janine, thank you for saying that. I'm proud to, to, to say that Janine is one of my participants. Just wanted to share a little bit more about the structure of how we create that relational trust. And as Janine said, going back to the basics, the whole safe space of meeting with each group meets once a month as a group. And then as coaches, I meet with, or we all meet with each participant once a month as well. So I just wanted to bring into the conversation, the importance of this, this notion of co-constructed learning. That's a large element of Project I-4 as well, that participants are talking about evidence together. They're practicing coding the evidence together, and then they go back to their school sites where they will be developing their own school-based group of further translating these practices, as Janine said, going back to the basics and looking at how students are being called on, how questioning is being used in an equitable manner. So it's all about creating this foundation of relational trust and, and really co-constructing this knowledge and experience together. Yeah, that's great. And, and I love that um, your emphasis is really not only on like bringing theory into practice, but it sounds like what that practice actually looks like 
right? So we, we talk a lot in, in teacher professional development around what is the theory that's informing my practice, but sometimes we don't get enough into what does it actually mean on like a, uh, you know, minute by minute kind of um, level in your classroom. What does it mean for something super simple? Like, how am I calling on kids in my classroom in an equitable way? How am I doing some of the things that I may have been doing as an educator for, you know, 20, 30 years or, or a shorter amount of time for one or two years if you're a young teacher? How am I doing some of these just daily tasks and how am I doing them in a more equitable way? And what does that actually look like? I think that's so, so critical. I would just add that that we wanted to get part of the, the, the focus of the grant is to get at what is what are the most meaningful things that happen that impact our students and those interactions in the classroom. And we so in part, I mean, the real focus of our work is actually academic discourse in math classrooms. So we're really looking at really a part of something that oftentimes doesn't happen as much as it should. We know that kids learn through um, um, really those interactions are extraordinarily powerful learning. Um, and yet academic discourse doesn't so we doesn't happen as frequently as as we know it should and so we really wanted to focus it on that as well yeah that's awesome so we've been talking a little bit about equity as an idea here in the last you know however many minutes we've been recording this podcast but i think there's a lot of conversation around equity in education these days and i want to be sure we're all sort of working from the same definition and same um i guess initial place of understanding around what equity means in education and so antonia and ken I, I would love to hear from either of you how you can help us clarify when we say equitable educational experience or equity in the classroom or equity in schools um what exactly are you all talking about and what should we be talking about as educators? And let's let's go over to Antonia first. Sure. So I've been grappling with that definition of equity. And, and again, working with Project I-4 has given me the best footing ensuring for that. And, and I define it as uh, equity is ensuring that every student receives what he or she needs to be successful. And I'm going to add to that and find joy in learning. When we talk about equity, we're often talking about, in Project I-4, of course, um, equitable questioning strategies from the teacher to ensure that every student has access to higher order thinking questions, ensuring that teachers are equitably calling on every student, as, as Ken and I have talked about. But as I've been thinking more about equity and, and preparing for this podcast, I want to add, it's important for us to talk about equity, meaning inspiring joy for learning for students so that every child has a positive experience and, and continues to be a lifelong learner throughout their lives. So to me, that's how I define equity, ensuring that every student has what he or she needs to be successful and find joy in learning. I love it. I love it. I I think that the inclusion of joy is so important. I was just having a conversation with another colleague recently about that, and um, I'm so glad you're bringing that table. Thanks, Antonia. Ken, what, where are you working from? Antonia, I love that, the joy. I mean, just think about how to create joyful spaces for kids. It's just amazing. Um, I The definition's the same. It's really about kids getting what they need to really not just succeed in sort of the numbers game that we often play, but really, really succeed in terms of having meaningful learning experiences every day they walk across, they walk into that school. And and that meaningful learning experience is, is both contributes to them as a whole person and really uplifts them. But I, I would also add that we have to be really specific about talking about it. We, we have to talk about racial equity and not be afraid about talking about the experiences that our, our uh, students of color have and really, really be specific about what we're, if we're talking about linguistic equity, we need to talk about it. We need to put that out there up front. Sometimes we use equity and it's this big tent 
and it's, the big tent has a way of not really being as inclusive as we may think. So one of the, the pieces of literature that I've read recently that has continued to help inform my whole definition and understanding of equity is an article written by Paul Gorski entitled Avoiding Racial Equity Detours. And, and in this article, uh, Gorski writes about equity being all the things we've already talked about, ensuring that every student has what they need to be successful. But he also writes about equity being ensuring that we are confronting and dismantling barriers to equity. One of those barriers being uh, the notion of trying to sometimes fix students. For example, ensuring that students have grit and perseverance. All important, very important concepts. But as Ken alluded to, there's this extra component of we must confront it. If we're talking about, as Ken said, linguistic equity, if we're talking about racial equity, we have to confront it, say it, identify it, and address it as educators. So I just wanted to add that that's another important definition of equity for me, is addressing the barriers, identifying the barriers to it, and making sure we confront those. I was wondering if you could maybe take a, a bird's eye view um, of what, where are we now um, in our country um, as far as equity? Um, what are the current issues surrounding equity in the field of education? This I-4 project popped up now and in this moment in time. Um, and I, I really just think, as you said, this is the um, issue of our time. So if you could just talk a little bit about whoever would like to address that issue. Um, where are we now? I, you know, I don't, it, that's a wonderful question. And it's... Um, I think in some ways we're in a very dangerous place. Um, we have so much pushback. Um, there's so much sort of just, I'll name it as white anger. Um, um, you can see there are states that are now trying to outlaw um, critical race theory or what they think might be critical race theory. Uh, the teaching of ethnic studies is endangered in some places. So on that side of the spectrum, there's, it's, there's a lot to be concerned about. On the other side of the spectrum, I believe that, you know, when I, I like I said, I started a couple of years ago as a teacher, and there, there's far more um, recognition about equity. If you look at, and, and if you look at just the history of uh, um of culturally responsive pedagogy and how that's evolved from the mid-90s when Gloria Ladson Billings wrote her fantastic sort of seminal work on, 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 on culturally responsive pedagogy and how that's evolved over time. We now are, are we have CLRP, which is linguistic culturally and linguistically responsive pedagogy. And we have others who are really pushing the envelope on that. Django Paris is one who's written some wonderful new pieces about how to use different lenses for thinking about um, um, equity and, and culturally responsive uh, pedagogy. He calls it culturally sustaining pedagogy. Um, and then um, Goldie Muhammad's another one who's just really, really pushing this work to far more nuanced, far more sophisticated than when I was a teacher. And, and, and teachers are talking about it more and more and, and really working hard to, to employ um, CLRP in ways that, that I, we never saw when I started teaching. You know, I, th I think you've really hit on something there, Ken. Um, when we think about what's happening in the, the national conversation and in the public eye, uh, certainly what we talked about, can we all define something that would be, um, that we're all talking about the same thing. And I think that we're shouting past each other and uh, the definitions have certainly gotten lost uh, from what I've been able to see. Um, so if we could also take a look, I, I don't know if, um, Antonia, did you have anything to, to add to that about the current issues that you see in education? Yes, I actually, I would like to add. I am encouraged that equity has become a part of our lexicon. It's it's a word that seems to be gaining even more traction in our conversation. But as Ken mentioned, one thing that concerns me is, as happens often in education, if we overuse the word without 
fully having a conversation about what it is like we're doing tonight on this podcast. And even further, if we overuse the word without looking as educators, each educator in our own respective roles, schools, districts, and whatever organization we work, if we just talk about the word without moving forward our actions to address barriers to equity, my concern is it will become a word that is so overused, it's just like assessment in education that we use you know, almost daily in education. So I'm encouraged that it's a part of the national conversation, it's a part of our lexicon. I'm concerned and hope that we will continue to drive forward that each educator will advance it in, in their roles. Absolutely. I think you're, you're spot on with that as well. I think if you lined up 100 teachers and say, hey, you know, do you have equity in your classrooms? They'd all say, yeah, sure, <laughs> you know? And perhaps it, it, just, uh, it just moves on from there. And then the actions and the, re- and the critical reflection um, that is involved in that answer being an absolute yes. Um, and, and it's a continuum. Uh, so I, I think uh, that's also very important. Yeah, and I'll just jump in real quick. I just want to kind of add that yeah, you mentioned the word continuum there, but really, um, I'm going to reference real quick uh, this book that we've been reading, The Five Practices for Equity-Focused School Leadership. I mentioned it in our last podcast, but um, they they kind of ha- show this pyramid in there, and when you can really think of equity um, almost in this pyramid there where you have, you know, the, the historical context of it. Um, when we talk about like the, the founding of our own nation and then kind of how the school system actually was originally set up and everything and the, and the, the structural equity piece, and then get into the institutional and the individual and thinking about it along those lines, um, you know, what are the, when we think about the equity issues that are there with us today, I, and it varies across the nation, quite honestly, but you know, in the state of Pennsylvania, we can we can start talking about, you know, how are public schools funded, right? That's a huge equity issue, right? Um, that's, and I think what happens is when you have an issue like that, that feels so out of your control, like here, here I am an educator and I'm like, I can clearly see that the way that the schools are funded is an equity issue. You have schools that are literally on dividing lines of, you know, across the state here where one school is like the Taj Mahal and then a mile down the road is, you know, the kids don't have access to the same, same resources. It's a huge issue. And that seems like, you know, a a giant where you can't conquer that. Meanwhile, but I love the I-4 project because when you break it down into, all right, let's think about what you can do for equitable instructional practices within your classroom that then I start to feel like, all right, there is something that I can actually do and something that I can actually tackle within my, within myself, (laughs) you know? Um, So I just wanted to throw that in there as far as equity issues are concerned. I think there's, there's large, really large equity issues, but then we can, we can, when we break them down into this like step-by-step process that I think people can, can start to bring about real change. Yeah, that's, that's, Awesome, Jean. I, 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 you know, I loved your ex, um, example with Philadelphia schools or with um, the schools in Pennsylvania. It's, you know, context is everything. And our classroom context is really important. Knowing and understanding our students and our community that we serve and, and the families is, is so important for understanding you, there's not one equity issue out there. There's, there, it's multiple, there's, it's layered, it's complex and nuanced. And so as educators, and this is sort of the, the, the tactic that we take is, is that we have to like really, really focus on the things that we can both, that, that we can make changes on and really, um, uh, really um, move the equity work forward for kids, but it's all contextual. And, you know, my, I always tell the story when I first started teaching was the standards movement was starting to get moved forward. And we in Minneapolis public, I taught in a school uh, that was 90% of our kids were on free and reduced lunch. And we, you know, our kids were getting, it was a high school and our kids were getting a, a sixth grade science program, basically, while the next group was um, uh, the group in, in Adina Public Schools, which was right across the way, was getting high level college bound science courses. And before we move on, 
I want to add to, to something that Janine said and, and then connect to what Ken said about equity being contextual. I thought about another issue, obviously, that COVID-19 has raised for us in education in terms of inequity, inequity access to technology, to devices and Internet um, that impacts rural communities more often than others and, and marginalized communities. So, as Ken mentioned, equity is indeed contextualized. I just wanted to raise that in the conversation as an example. That's exactly right. I, you know, what I'd like to maybe paint a picture for our audience and, and for myself, um, I'm not sure that we can ever say that, you know, every school experience, every school, every institution, every district, every state is going to be, you know, completely equitable. It's, it's sort of, to me, in my mind, like an ever striving toward a, a more equitable um, experience in our educational system. Um, but what would it look like if schools were more equitable? I'd jump in and I would like to say I would envision a school in which you see every child, no matter their ability level, being inspired. Again, that joy for learning that I mentioned, every child being asked rigorous questions, every child being called on, every child receiving the, res the supports that they need to be successful, individualized instruction as much as possible. So a place where students feel safe wanted, cared for. You know, again, this is something we don't often talk about in education enough, in my opinion, but this whole sense of joy and belonging that schools need to to create in order for students to be successful. I, I love that. And I would only add sort of, I think equitable schools to me are schools that are both, we used to talk about this a lot, are, are both schools that are um, learning is both in the community and the community is in the school and that that there are that that schools truly don't hold themselves outside the communities that they serve that that um, parents have meaningful opportunities to both interact and be able to, to steer and create um, the work that happens inside the schools that community um, our community members are there to support the schools, but I, and at the same time, all kids are honored for who they are. I, I love how you've, we've painted a picture here of like what equity can, what equity can look like within schools, right? Um, and when we, I, I love that phrase where we say, when we say all, we mean all, that all students are getting the education that they rightfully deserve and that we're meeting the needs of every kid. We're individualizing. Um, which is great. I love that you mentioned that because uh, in, in one of our upcoming episodes, we're going to talk more about um, inclusion and how do you individualize. Um, a lot of the research, more recent research, it has just been talking more and more about that idea of if you want to be inclusive, um, if you want to you know, have an equitable school, then you need to be practicing individualized education. So so here comes my question, though, is, you know, now that we've painted this picture, like, how do we really move forward? What can educators do to ensure that equity is alive and well in their schools? And and maybe we can even get into thinking about, you know, if a school wanted to conduct an equity audit, that's that's kind of like a hot topic right now. I know um, a lot of schools in the area are considering trying to do an equity audit. You know, um, if we have any suggestions for how they might go about doing one. Um, but I, that, those are probably like loaded questions there. But I guess the real question here is how do we move forward and what can educators do to ensure that equity is alive and well in their schools? Um, Ken, do you want to start with that? You know, I think one is I think teacher educators in a school have to see themselves as um, they have to really be able to, to know their community, know their kids really well. They have to be able to collect evidence and really this is part of our, our work is to be able to collect evidence on equity and what's happening so they can disrupt inequitable practices. I think the notion of, of one audit is it's, it's fine, but I, I think in one sense we should always be collecting that kind of evidence and we should always be having that kind of those kind of conversations. I would I would just add one other thing that I think is really important for equitable schools, and that is that the practices that we believe about learning that should happen in the classroom should also be happening among the teachers. 
So when teachers come together for faculty meetings, they're learning together. They're doing inquiry in, in order to understand both their community and their school and, and um, the equity issues that exist and, and be able to take that in Ferrari's term and, and um, take that into praxis where they're reflecting on that and then taking action. And, and I think that's an important part of what the adults in schools need to, need to do to move this work forward. Uh, several thoughts. I'm trying to make sure I'm concise in them. I'm really excited about this particular question, but I want to connect just really quickly back to the last question we were discussing, and, and that was what schools can do to be equitable, what should they look like, and I want to connect to that question. So Ken mentioned this as well, but making learning meaningful in terms of connecting to the community um, to create equity in schools or to make sure we're being equitable, making sure that learning is meaningful in terms of, for example, having students do research projects, and that can be scaled up and down in, in terms of developmental appropriateness, um, having them do research projects connected to their communities, looking at you know notable and um, famous sites in their communities, so to make learning relevant and connect those students back to their communities, that's one thing. And then you mentioned equity audits. I think that is an important step. It's an important tool. In an equity audit, a school can, it can be very simple. A school can just list documents, processes, policies, and as a committee, as a group, look at those things and look for inequities or barriers to equity, as I mentioned before. Then also want to mention something I've spoken about before, and that's the importance of every day, every educator being really cognizant of addressing their inner dialogue, their own biases. Equity has to be a daily work, and I like to think of this as uh, to put it this way, equity really should be a verb as much as it is a noun. What are we doing every day in our practice as educators to advance that work forward? Another, and I'll try to end with this, another very important tangible practical exercise that a school can use to, to advance equity, for example, looking at their class rosters for advanced classes and looking to see do they have representation across all of their student groups, students of color, ability level, so there are really practical things that schools can do to advance equity as well as this inner dialogue work that I, I think needs to happen every day that I spoke about. Uh, I, I love that. I especially love your defining equity as a verb. I'm going to take that. <laughs> and and now thinking, you know, here we've paid in this picture of like what equity can look like in schools and, and, and thinking about how we move forward. Are there any particular resources that are maybe available for educators to you know, bring about equity into their classrooms? You know, the first place I would go, I mean, right now to think about sort of, of when we think about culturally responsive pedagogy, I would recommend um, Hammond's work on uh, 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 culturally responsive teaching in the brain. I think that's a wonderful resource for teachers um, to, to really be familiar with. I would also reference another resource as well, which is the book entitled Principles to Action, Ensuring Mathematical Success for All. For teachers out there, they're really looking for something tangible to help them with their math, you know, teaching practices. It also addresses equity quite well, including providing a really great definition of equity on page 59. So that's a resource I would highly recommend. And then back to our conversation that we had a moment ago about resources and tools such as equity audits. Um, this book that I've actually used in my teaching, I also teach courses for ECU, uh, School, Family, and Community Partnerships by Joyce Epstein. She's done some great work about uh, audits and equity audits and partnership work that I think would provide educators with some great practical tools and resources for connecting with the community to ensure greater equity. Those are really awesome suggestions, and we're going to drop those links in our show notes. Um, and hopefully educators who are listening to this can access those at their leisure and get into the scholarship, get into the reading, because um, I'm familiar with a couple of them and I really love them. And so I hope that you all listening really love them too. Hey everyone, this is Mike. 
Thanks to all of you amazing, loyal listeners who've been with us up through our first 40 episodes of Rethinking EDU. We've had some amazing conversations, and we hope that you've enjoyed them as much as we've enjoyed them. We also want to give a big shout out to all of our Patreon supporters who have gone to patreon.com slash rethinkingedu and shared their support and gotten access to our exclusive content that we call The Think Tank. We appreciate all of you, and check back for our future episodes when we will shout out some of our uh, loyal Patreon subscribers um, right here in the mid-roll. And before we head back to the episode, be sure to check out our very own Matt Downing's podcast, Diving Deep EDU. Thanks. A quick interruption to let you know about another great podcast. Curious conversations with all types of peeps Encouraging innovation, we are diving deep Certainly education is what we like to speak Fervent with dedication, now it is time to teach Diving Deep, EDU Thought-provoking conversations Antonia and Ken, we're moving into our sort of reflection section of the podcast where we sit back and say, hmm, what did this conversation make me think about? And as co-hosts, we always like to start off this reflection and give our guests a little bit of time to do the reflecting with us. Uh, Julie, let's start with you. What is this conversation making you think about education? Well, this reflection is making me think about reflection. <laughs> really. Yeah, right? <laughs> Thinking about, you know, how teachers, again, that, that one-off, like, yeah, we got it, or a school just assuming, like, really taking a deeper dive into your individual practices um, as a teacher, um, I think would be invaluable uh, to changing the conversation in schools um, that are, especially, it's such a hotbedded issue right now, um, really, it's on that individual level where teachers can have the most impact. But then also reflecting on your school as a whole, as Antonia just suggested, um, and then learning. And as teachers, sometimes it's hard because we get so you know, embedded in the day-to-day, but learning to think um, and look up and out at what kinds of um, institutional um, barriers are there um, that we need to address and really become more of a, a forthright voice. Um, from the classroom. This conversation made me think of developing a list of what I think are the top issues in education. And as we've been chatting here, I realized, you know, back at the beginning, we were talking about how equity is the issue, how many of the things we've talked about and what we've heard from Antonia and Ken actually are things that I think are the top issues in education, and they all relate to equity. So for example, class size and school funding and access to technology. Those are all on my list of the most important things that are challenging to schools right now. And those are all equity issues. And so I want to sit back and kind of really drill down, like, what are those kind of main issues that I think happen in education? How do those relate to equity? And kind of do some reflecting for for myself. Janine, what about you? So this conversation is is really giving me some hope here. I think that as we've talked about equity, and Mike, you've pretty much um, have painted a picture again yet with like this equity is like this umbrella concept, and there's so many other things that can fall under it, and there's so many issues surrounding equity within schools. But when we really start to break it down, um, there there are things that we can do, right? Um, I love that we had mentioned this idea that, you know, Equity should be a reflective practice. We should be reflective practitioners and we should be thinking about equity on a daily basis in our instructional practices and in our schools and how it's going. It shouldn't just be this one-time thing, like you said, where, um, you know, everybody's kind of jumping to, oh, let's do equity audits. Let's, let's do an equity audit, you know? Um, but it can't be this, this one and done sort of thing. It needs to be an ongoing conversation um, and that there should be, there should be reflection happening about equity within the schools regularly. Um, so that's really, I, that's what I really appreciate about the, appreciate about this conversation is that we've taken a really large issue, but have broken it down into something that is really manageable and that we can chip away at and make a difference. Yeah, that's so nicely said, Janine. Thanks for, thanks for that. Uh, Ken, let's go to you. What is this conversation sort of making you reflect on? Three things. And thank you all. Uh, 
collaboration, community, and reflection. I think as uh, as schools realizing that we are communities and that we have to work together and that adults have to work together in order to create meaningful change um, for their students. And the reflection piece in this is really reflection to action, that we, we spend a lot of time thinking about our work, but how much time goes into the actual actions that we take and, um, and, and really making change where we need to make change in the service of equity. Yeah, I'm over here shaking my head, nodding in agreement with you, Ken. Thanks for that. That's, that's really great. And Antonia, let's hear from you. What is this conversation making you think of? So the, the, that phrase that I used a moment ago that just came to me, uh, I'm thinking about it even more and making me reflect on, as Janine and Ken just mentioned, the importance of equity as a verb for me. I, I may have to do some writing about that if can fully wrap my, my mind around it. But what are we doing? Once again, I'm reflecting even more from this conversation. What are we doing or what am I doing as an educator in my respective role every day to advance equity? And just want to encourage listeners and, and all of us as a group, as Janine mentioned, there are some really practical things that are important. Looking at policies and procedures that may disproportionately, for example, impact students of color or students experiencing poverty. Looking at advanced classes and uh, is there you know, representation there? So practical things that educators can do every day to make equity a verb is what I'm reflecting on. I love it. Yeah. And really sometimes that might mean super simple things and very doable things for teachers that we know are super busy and those things can be super important just take those first few steps and that can be a big deal to making a student feel more included to make a student feel like they belong in your classroom absolutely so guests at the very end of every episode we always offer an opportunity for y'all to share something that you've been reading listening to watching enjoying um i'll tell you i've been enjoying recently uh episodes of friday night lights because i need my early 2000s back uh you know in my life and um it's almost football season and so um that's exciting for me uh but i won't dwell on my appreciation for coach taylor instead i will hand over the mic to antonia do you want to share a plug that uh you have brought to um for our audience uh, absolutely i mentioned one earlier but I, I just am so enthralled with this article i think it's worth repeating the paul gorski article uh something i read recently for a class that i taught that I have marked all over and will treasure it. It's just such a thought-provoking article, again, not only about what equity is, but how we address the barriers. And it's Avoiding Racial Equity Detours by Paul Gorski, something that I'm really reflecting on. And then the second resource I'd like to mention is a, a great text that um, Ken and our great our Project I4 leaders have provided. It's a book called Coaching for Equity. And as a coach, it's been exceptionally important for me because it's guiding me in how to in my coaching practice still stick with the heart of equity but it is absolutely applicable to teachers because teachers are coaches and facilitators of learning as well so those are two resources that are really meaningful for me that i've been reading right now yeah elena aguilar is uh making the making the tracks these days with um her works on uh you know adult learning development coaching for equity um, she's got quite the uh, quite the publication following out there. So that's really awesome. Thanks for sharing that, Antonia. Um, Ken, what would you like to plug? One is um, we're using with our uh, graduate students, our, our doc students, which is called Street Data. And it's by Shane Safer and Jamila Dugan. It's really a wonderful, wonderful book. Um, if you're tired of big data, and you really want to think about evidence in a very different way, this is a really compelling book. Um, and it's one of the ways that we think about this is really being able to look at the stories and the experiences that people bring to the table to help us make sense of larger data. Um, so um, that's one of them that, that I'm reading that I really like. And another one is uh, Rethinking Ethnic Studies. 
um, we just actually we have a um, we host as Project I4 we host an equity summit and just had one of the authors Wayne Ah um, come and talk about rethinking ethnic studies. But I think it's we're at a point it's such an important piece right now to really be able to think about what we're offering and how that offering is really impacting kids and supporting students, particularly our students of color, to really reimagine the world that they live in and to understand history from a more truthful background. Thanks, Ken. I appreciate that. Um, I want to say that we included um, street data in a plug last episode, but we will plug it again just because um, it sounds like it's been really impactful for a few folks. So that's uh, that's really great. I'm just going to second that earlier they plugged um, the, the principles to actions, um, ensuring mathematical success for all. I love that book. Um, so if you teach math, you should read that book. <laughs> Can I offer one more for you then? Joe Bo- Joe Bowler's book on mathematical mindsets. It's fabulous. And yes. she's awesome and really, really... She also has a really wonderful take on equity in that book. So I would plug that as well. Well, uh, Antonia Johnson and Ken Simon, it's really been lovely having you on the podcast. We appreciate your time. We appreciate your energy. We appreciate your dedication to what is a a really tiring task of tackling equity in education across the country. And we appreciate all of the work that you've been doing. Guests, thank you. Um, and listeners, thank you. Thank you for tuning into this episode. Thank you for uh, sharing this episode with your friends because we know that you're sharing it all across your networks. Um, and head on over to our Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash rethinkingedu. We just released our second Think Tank episode with Antonio Boyd. You can have a listen to that if you support our podcast at the $3 a month level. If you don't really care about the Think Tank, that's cool. Um, you can support us at the $1 a month level. Um, and if you got a lot of disposable income, we welcome anybody who would like to support us at the million dollar a month level. That would be amazing. We can just quit our jobs and like run around the country and really amazing people on our podcast. But if you don't fall into any of those categories, you can always find our podcast wherever you may find your podcasts, Apple, Google, um, Spotify, and the like. And as always, thank you listeners and keep rethinking EDU.